because we're created in your image. Apparently your spirit lives in the Christian, it lives in us, it lives in the believer. And so that love should be taking over, it should be a critical part of who we are. And at some point in time, we should not be able to be associated in any other other way other than having your love in our life and dominating our lives. So I pray, God, that you would show us uh, through your word, Lord, how we can uh, truly have that same love in our hearts and our minds, Lord, and just carry out our lives in love, Lord. So God, I thank you for our time this morning. I pray you bless our time together. And in Jesus' name, amen. So the first part's pretty important here. It says, the imitators of God. And this is piggybacking on what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about, the, me- the title of the message was Restraining Rage and like how to handle, handle anger. And what the appropriate way um, for the Christian is to handle anger. And we talked about last week basically how anger is not a sin. But it can be sloppy and dangerous. It can be. Depending upon how we deal with it and what we do with it. And then we talked about some important things to keep in mind when dealing with that strong emotion of anger. And Paul's addressing that issue because his overarching theme is walking worthy. Everybody say, walking worthy. Right, that's the whole idea that he's really picked up, uh, really starting in Ephesians, towards the end of Ephesians 3, about walking worthy. Putting into practice what's true about our lives and what's true about what Christ has done for us. So we walk worthy uh, in unity, which he highlighted a lot in chapter 4. And then, throughout chapter 4, he also talked about walking worthy in purity. Where this body, this temple belongs to him. And you remember we talked about a few weeks ago about, you know, how I was telling the story about how it was a friend's house and they had just that separate room just for company, just for special occasions. And like that's the same way that we treat our temples, our bodies. It's special occasions for him only. Only certain things should be there and we got to clean that stuff out. And then it's interesting how along with clearing things out and making sure we don't like contaminate it and get you know funky stuff in there, a big part of purity also had to do with anger, a strong emotion. How we handle that will determine how pure we are before God as well. And so we pick up in chapter 5 this week and he says, Be imitators of God. And that word is pretty interesting. Being imitators. Right? So you know about Imitation, fill in the blank, right? You have your imitation crab meat, you know, which is like kind of funky. And, you know, you got like your imitation, you know, iPhones that are out there that kind of like look like and try to function like it, you know, but maybe don't. And you got like your imitation clothing where it's like it looks like it, maybe fits kind of like it, but then you wash it the first time and then it shrinks to this big, you know, or you pull one thread out and the whole thing goes, right? There's imitation stuff. And the idea here is that we're supposed to be, we're called to be, Paul says to, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. And that word is interesting because you could even substitute the word um, a mimic. Mimic God. Mimic Him. Imitate Him. 
be like Him. And it says, therefore, as dearly loved children, which is kind of interesting. So imitate God because we're dearly loved children. So I think about, you know, I talk about Jaron a lot, you know, because he's a big part of my life. And, you know, we got the kids and sometimes the pet works in there too. But, you know, as far as uh, Jaron goes, it's very interesting how, you know, when they're younger, and I can see it now in Judson, you know, because he's a couple of years younger now, he's just about to turn one. So it's just amazing how much they soak up and they can see. And, you know, you talk to them all the time and you interact and you go through life and you never quite know what they're picking up. You know, they're looking at you and maybe smiling sometimes or he likes to clap, you know. And who knows what they're picking up and, you know, what's kind of resonating going on there. But as they get older, and I think about Jaron, one thing that sticks out is, you know, when, when we're in the car, at some point in time, what he wanted to do, well, apparently he was soaking up things, he would soak up how we'd get in the car, he would soak up how, first thing for you know, you take your key, you put it in the door, he'd soak that up, and then uh, he realized once you get in the car, you'd take another key, I don't know if it's the same one, you know, and then you put it in, and then that turns the car on, and then he'd soak up that if you turn the wheel there, you know, you could like go places, and if you hit the horn, he picked that one up pretty quickly. If you hit the horn, right, you get people's attention. And so it's interesting about how he picked up all of this, and at some point in time, he wanted to start to imitate it. He wanted to start to imitate it. So at some point in time, I don't remember when, go outside of the car, he wants the keys now. I, I want the keys. I want the keys. You know, so now he wants to take the keys and he wants to put them in the door to try and open it. And then he wants to take the keys and try and put them in the ignition and he wants to get on the steering wheel and then he can't figure out why the car's not moving because he's holding the steering wheel and so it should be moving, you know. So it's like, how does that work, you know, in his brain? So it's very interesting how, you know, we love him and, you know, we try and show him that we love him the best that we can and try and leave no doubt in his little brain so far that mommy and dad are here for him, you know, and want to take care of him and all this stuff. And his natural response to a lot of things is he just wants to imitate. He just wants to imitate. And, you know, I guess we could start reading books to him, like at night, you know, how to drive a car, how to get into a car, and like have pictures in there and go through all that. But honestly, many times, like for kids... What they actually see is what they're, like, they're actually learning. That's, that's like the practical part there. We could be reading books and going through stuff forever, but I don't know. It's much easier caught when he's in it and around it and absorbing it all in. And honestly, we're not much different than that when it comes to our Heavenly Father. We're really not much different. We need to, we're called to be in His presence. See, the challenging thing about the verse is that it says, be imitators of God. But, God is invisible. So, be imitators of this God that is invisible. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with that? Right? Be imitators of a God who is invisible. How does that work? And I think that's a fair question and I think that's like okay to ask. The good news is, there is somebody who God sent that started with a J and ended with an S, 
Uh. Right? He came and He was God incarnate. So if we are ever curious about how God would interact with people and be around people, we can look right at His life. That's why there's an incredible amount of value to looking at Jesus' life and reading through the Gospels and see how He interacted with people and... Um, you know, how he handled certain dynamics in people's lives. Because it gives us a better idea and a blueprint as far as how we should do it. It's really helpful, but it's super difficult to try and imitate this God that's, you know, for the most part invisible at times. Sometimes in rare and amazing ways, he makes himself seen in, in different ways to people. But for the most part, you can't really see him or just grab him immediately, you know, like we could to maybe somebody next to us. So it makes it difficult, you know, how do we imitate that? How do we imitate that? Well, we got to be around him. We got to hang around with him. I got to hang around with my dad and with my king and with my savior long enough to figure out which key goes in the car. And then to figure out how to put that key like in the lock to open the door. And then figure out how to like get that key in the ignition and what makes this thing go. Because there's nothing more frustrating than trying to imitate and then, like, not understanding, understanding how it all works. How it all works together. Jaron was so frustrated the first time he put the key in the ignition, he's like, it's not on. You know, and he's like, throwing like a big huge fit, and he's all upset, and it's like, there has to be some understanding that comes along with it. And honestly, the rest of the world, you know, outside of, you know, the Christian and the believer, I, I think there's probably... And there's probably more things that are more frustrating, but something that's definitely very irritating for the rest of the world is that Christians you try and imitate, but it's not authentic and genuine because they haven't been with their father. They're really trying to live out something maybe they heard from somebody else, or they're around somebody that like, oh yeah, it was really good like, when they say that, and then like they try and incorporate that in some way, or maybe try and say it, but it doesn't come out the same way. And it doesn't get lived out in the same way. The fake imitations are like the worst. Because then it's not sincere and authentic and genuine and transparent. And if there's any Christian qualities that you can have falling under love, as you can see we're getting there, falling under love, if we could be the type of people that is transparent, authentic, genuine, man, that goes such a long way. Because anybody, we can sniff out phoniness and fakeness. Because we're bombarded with like marketing things. We're always trying to be sold stuff all the time around commercials all the time. And usually for most of us, we're in relationships and around people where they're trying to get something for themselves. Somehow will they benefit? And we're used to functioning like in that way. So we have conversations with people and we interact with others which some of us might be guilty of trying to handle it. Well, what are they trying to get out of this? Why did they say it that way? And Go down this weird road. Right? But we're called to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Did you know that you are dearly loved children? Did you really know that? I mean dearly loved. I'm a dearly loved child. I'm a dearly loved son. Did you know that? 
true. You're dearly, dearly loved. Dare I say, passionately loved. It's pretty awesome. That changes everything when that really sinks in there. When you're dearly loved and you are passionately loved. So much so that he would just send his son and be like, you know what? Him dying, yes, that's worth it so I can have my son or daughter with me so we can be in communion together. That's an amazing dad right there. I cannot say that I would kill Jaron or Judson so I could have intimate communion with each of you here. Can't say it. I don't even really want to say it. I don't know if you could say that. If it was your own kids. It's amazing. Dearly, dearly, passionately loved. That shakes off just like a lot of weight and a lot of burdens a lot of times. Just to know before God that he's not sitting there like this. The glass is down on the nose, you know. And, you know. But I think that's pretty common, you know, for a lot of people. But we're dearly loved. And when we realize that we're dearly loved like that, usually what happens is we become excited to imitate it. When you're so radically loved and so radically forgiven, you just want to imitate that. Like that, it just starts to ooze out of you. You get in this place where it's like, I can't believe my Heavenly Father feels like this for me and would do this for me and would sacrifice so much for me and promises so much to me. I can't believe it. And so, so many times when people first give their lives to Jesus Christ, they first surrender. I accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for me, Lord. I want you as Lord of my life. I understand what it means. I won't have all the answers, but I want to follow you. I know that it's right. Amen. And when they, that happens, and they get a good, clear picture as far as the kind of forgiveness that has just taken place and has just happened, you can't shut them up. You can't shut them up. Because the love is radically changing them. So it's not like, I have to imitate now. It's like, how could I not? How could I not? When I've become so forgiven and grace covers my life so much, how could I not be an imitator of this? It's going to transform the rest of my life. Right? That's the outlook right, that the Christian is called to have. That's what we're striving to be. And then towards the end of that sentence it says, and live a life of love. What's the one quality that should define a Christian? should be the Christian's calling card that should be unmistakable, undeniable. Maybe you don't know all the memory verses. Maybe you're not quite sure where to turn to Nahum in your Bible if I asked you to right now. Maybe you don't know how many chapters Obadiah has. It's in the Bible too. Right? Whatever. But his love should be taking root and should be taking form and a life of love is the life that matters. This is the thing 
that matters completely. This is the thing that was emphasized and modeled unbelievably by Jesus. This is what we're called to. This is the good work that God is trying to work out in us. He's trying to, His Spirit inside of us, is trying to change our attitudes and change our mindset and change our thoughts so that we are actually becoming the love that has actually died for us. That's amazing. That's amazing. There's a relentless pursuit of love going on here. One thing remains, right? One thing remains. His love. And then the other side of that is, since that one thing remains, Lord God, help that one thing of love that is just so amazing for me, help that to also flow out of me into other people. Because not just for me to just soak up and enjoy, it's for me to also give out to the people around me. And here's one thing I wanted to make sure that we talked about this morning. Because this word, love, I don't know, just because I'm saying the word and just because we're hearing the word, doesn't exactly mean we're all talking the same language. Let me tell you what I... Let me... Let me, let me oh, this is just craziness. Let me, let me read you a couple of things here. So since the printer didn't work, I actually had to write this down. Check this out. So I just want to go over love, just for a minute. So when we're talking about love, walk a life of love, live a life of love, be a fragrant offering of His love, of His sacrifice, that just sweet-smelling fragrance. Not the nasty-smelling B.O. Christian, but a sweet-smelling fragrance that's been in the presence of God. And that fragrance just goes out. See, because I don't think John the Baptist probably smelled too good. I mean, the dude lived in the woods. He had like the camel hair thing, you know. He's eating locusts and honey, you know. But, but he's probably rich in love, you know what I mean? I mean, that's an amazing man. So check this out. So love, what are we talking about with love? Let's just make sure that we're all on the same page and we're understanding love, at least how God defines it. And because he created it, he gets to define it. And I know that's the rub for many people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's immediate fight back. No. For some reason, we think it's ours. You know, it's our thing. All right. So check this out. January, January 2nd, 2006. This lady, Sharon Tenler. She, uh, she was, uh, she's English. She did her, I put in quotations, marriage ceremony in southern Israel. Interesting, it's in Israel. Southern Israel. What she did is she, quote unquote, she married her dolphin. I am not lying to you. True story. True story. She married her dolphin. In quotations. The government chose not to recognize it for whatever reasons. But she did, quote unquote, marry. And here's some of the things that she said. She said, this is not a perverted thing. This is like, wasn't a joke either. This wasn't like for money. It wasn't, you know, cameras weren't there. It's, what she wanted to do. It's a dolphin. She grew up with the dolphin, trained the dolphin, loved the dolphin. It's the dolphin. She said, it's not a perverted thing. I do love this dolphin. He's the love of my life. It's a true story. After the laugh, it's like, this is scary. Acknowledged... Um, 
Oh yeah, the state knowledge is not a wedding. But she did it to reflect her own deep feelings that she had toward the dolphin. She said, it's not a bad thing. We did it because I love him. Not in a way that maybe you love a man or another human, but this is pure love where it needs to be recognized so I share my whole life with him. She's saying it's love. She's saying these strong feelings that she has, strong feelings, and and there's no like, there's nothing in this for her at the end. Like she didn't win money, it wasn't on a TV show, the cameras weren't there. You know, maybe she got, you know, some weird looks from people and some people like weird attention like that, but like you, you didn't hear about it, right? I mean, it's not like it was that big of a thing. But strong feelings that she had, feelings of, I'd probably classify more as infatuation, placed in a bad spot, but nonetheless interpreted by her as love. So it throws up a couple of red flags right away. It's like, whoa. Like, how do we determine what real love is? How do we determine real And that's... That's on the table today. Real love. And does the government have a right to decide what we say is real love and not real love? So is it really that far away for people to start marrying their cats? When is the government, I mean, really going to take a stand and say, you know what, that's an illegitimate feeling that you have. It's not really love. I don't know how long it's going to last. Currently, it's like that. Like, that marriage was not recognized by the state. But I wonder how long that will last. You laugh at the cat thing. Yeah, check this one out. May 3rd, 2010. In Germany. I can't even say the guy's name. U-W-E. U? Ew? I don't know. Ew probably works. Yeah. He married his cat. He did it. Had a baptize what this guy did. And what he did is he paid he paid an actress four hundred dollars to officiate the ceremony. And she actually thought it was a joke. In the article she goes, I, I thought this was a joke, you know, I thought he was doing this like, you know, she's like, but this was not a joke during the ceremony. He was very serious about it and he was very excited that he could be tying the knot with the kitty cat. It's weird stuff, right? It's weird stuff. Love. All under the banner of love. And we're called to live a life of love. So it's like, we need God's help to figure out when our strong feelings and strong emotions, like just because they're strong, does not mean they're in the right place. You get that? So just because the emotions are strong and the feelings are strong, because that they're strong does not automatically mean that they're in the right place. Like it's from God. Not necessarily. And then the last one, this one just happened this year, May 8th. There's a man, he wanted to marry his MacBook. He did, it's a computer, yeah, it's a computer. One of those back there. 
So he wanted to marry his MacBook. I was in Utah. They didn't allow the marriage. But he said computers are his preferred sexual object. His computer has a ton of porn on it. And he prefers to have that to women. This is really where this guy is coming from. He's completely serious about it. He wrote a 50-page documented... um, I'll just say paperwork that he submitted to the city clerk's office to try and make the marriage legitimate. And then he actually even brought up the dolphin and he brought up the cat. He brought up a couple other cases that happened and said, hey, listen, these feelings are real, they're legitimate, just like these other people also had them. Now, Utah chose to not recognize it because of the way they define marriage. But at the same time, like, listen, it sounds goofy and like ridiculous, but listen... Love is taking a big hit here. Love is taking a big hit here. And the Christian's view on love, as God defines it, is going to become and will continue to get increasingly unpopular. Just where we're headed. Because God's love draws lines and has boundaries. It's not just what I'm just feeling this, you know, this is just strong and I just have this. In God's world and in God's terms, it's not enough. It's not enough. And if the Bible is true and it says that God is love, that's how He's actually defined, like you can't separate the two. He's making the distinctions and calling the rules and calling the shots. So what I did is I made a little chart. And this is not an exhaustive chart by any means. But um, maybe it will be helpful. Eric, can you bring up that chart I have on there? So we've got a chart up there. And the, the point of it is to kind of highlight and maybe contrast maybe just some things that we're around, we struggle with, we think about, that are said about love. And I just wanted to make sure that we at least we just highlighted a couple of things this morning. So it's not exhaustive. Like, it's not, you know, everything in the world is just on there. But a couple of key points. So, love. God's love. God's love. So look at the far column first. Because I feel like, it seems like, unbelievers think that they have a really good idea as far as how Christians should be loving. And they're real quick. Man, a call out, oh, that's not very loving. And that's it. So they have this idea that like whoever is a Christian that they're always meek and mild. They can be walked over all the time. Can be taken advantage of. And like they should enjoy that. Ah. Come on. Look over here. Love, we just talked about. It can get angry. Like you could go home later today. Something may happen. You know, flat tire on the way home. You can get angry about that doesn't mean you're being less of a Christian. doesn't even mean that you're sinning. We talked about that last week. But if during that anger and rage, man, you just let loose and shot fire and thrown off grenades all over the place, now you're sinning. That's a sin. That's a sin. But if you're angry at the car, man, I hope you don't swear, but man, come on. Like my printer this morning. I didn't swear at the printer this morning. That was good. I didn't. I didn't. And I'm serious. I think like, you know, maybe like last year before church and being stressed out or whatever. I, something would have came out. I, 
I say I hate to say it, but you know it's honestly true. But I didn't swear this morning. I was just like, you know what? Fine, no bulletins. This is what we're doing. Whatever. You know, so you can get angry. It's okay. Love still can rule in your life. But hopefully that anger, like we talked about last week, is handled like a scalpel, not like a hand grenade. Delicate, gentle, and focused on a particular area. Love can disagree. For some reason, the mindset and the thought that, uh, you know, if you're loving and you have Christian love, like you can't disagree with people because then you're intolerant. It's just not true. Just not true. Jesus disagreed multiple times through the Gospels. You can write them all down this week if you want. Love, it does draw lines. Where it says, this is appropriate and this is inappropriate. That's what it does. And that's where the rub is. That's where the fight back is. Love does have consequences. A holy God who loves, there's still a place called heaven and there's still a place called hell. There still are consequences. A righteous and holy love has consequences. I love my sons, but I won't just let them let loose and run wild. And it doesn't mean I'll love them any less when they get disciplined. It means I don't like the discipline part. But because I love them, I'm trying to channel them a particular direction. Love, here it is, God's love. I don't know if you can see it very well. Bottom right corner. Submits to truth as God defines it. It submits to truth as God defines it. So what that means is, in other words, no matter how strong my feeling is towards so-and-so or such-and-such, it gets checked by the Bible. Thousands and thousands year old document that had multiple authors from multiple places. And people are going to say, whoa, 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 no way. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. No. That's what the Christian is saying now. My feelings get checked through the Word. That's what the Christian is saying. On the other side, love is selfless. That's the most amazing thing about the Christian love is about how selfless it is. Jesus Himself was the ultimate picture of how selfless it is. When a marriage happens, basically what you're doing is you're signing away yourself publicly for that other person. Selfless. Because at the root of it, is at the bottom, right underneath it, at the root of it, it's focused on forgiveness. That's the focus of God's love and His love. I just want to forgive you. I want to wipe this thing clean. I want to make sure we're on the same page so we can now move forward. I don't want to live in resentment and bitterness and negative thoughts and attitudes towards you. So that way now when that song comes on on the radio and I think of so-and-so, I just get pissed off. Or I see that car that drives by that so-and-so used to drive and now I hate those cars. What? No. No, we're called to forgive. Like He forgave us for everything, for all time, for all things. It's got to be a marker stone in our lives. Forgiveness. 
And this is super difficult and super heavy duty for people who have been wounded incredibly deeply. Very difficult. But it's still the calling for all of us. Called to forgive. Because when we become a Christian, our rights of self go out the window. I don't care how good my cat, Duchess, our dog is, how much I may love her, it's just crap. I'm just at the center then. It's just how can I get my love met my way? It's not the way the Bible works, right? It's not the way His Word works. Look at His love. It's eager to serve. Just wants to get in there. Jesus showed us that. May He get on His feet, the towel, wash His disciples' feet, and they're like, Lord, wow, what are you doing? We should be washing your feet. He's like, no, I'm setting you an example. This is the way Christians are called to live. This is the way, in fact, you're supposed to lead. That in particular instance was just based on leadership. So you don't necessarily lead really well by raising your voice and telling people what to do and be authoritative about it. Maybe it'll come to that point sometimes once in a while, but you're more eager to serve. How can I come alongside and help make you better and help see you help you see something better? And everything about God's love that carries a burden for others. When this love and this forgiveness comes into our hearts and into our minds, and we don't really see it for what it is. We can't help but go around the world that we live in and see our family members and see other people and just have kind of a burden for them. It's like, man, God loves them so much. And even when they're really difficult, you just still love them because it's like, you know that they would not be that way if they knew the way that they were. Man, if you just knew what a jerk you were all the time, like, I know you wouldn't do it. Right? And you're not doing it in a way to be condescending or in a way to like throw a barb at them. But you're doing it in a way it's like, oh man, I just wish they could just see this. God help them to see. They're just tied up with this stuff. Because then they won't, want, they won't want to be that way. They probably even want to be set free from it. And maybe they're used to everybody just responding back with hostility and argumentativeness. And I don't want to be that way. We don't want to be that way. Calling to live a life of love, a fragrant offering. So, closing thought here. As I was thinking about walking this life of love, being a fragrant offering, and a sacrifice to God, I think usually we're more interested about walking in convenience, walking in comfort. And walking in privacy. I think that summarizes, like a lot of us, to maybe a a, a pretty good degree. Maybe it doesn't hit you, and if it doesn't, that's awesome. But most of us, I don't know, living a life of love and walking in love sounds great, but I think when the rubber hits the road, maybe I'm more interested in walking in convenience, walking in comfort, walking in privacy, and extending myself minimally throughout the day. I think that's where the struggle is. But our focus is to be loved to people and show that love. It's to be loved to people and show that love without doing this thing that we do sometimes 
which is, oh man, I'm trying so hard to love them. I'm trying, they're being so difficult. I'm trying really hard to be patient right now. And, I'm re- and what we do, maybe without even realizing it, is we turn it to where it becomes selfish again. So now the, the focus is on how much effort we're putting into loving them. We're not called to evaluate that process. We're just called to do it. Isn't it weird how we like get ourselves in there? Even when we're trying to love, we still try and get the spotlight back on ourselves. Oh man, I'm trying. And they're being difficult. And I don't know how much more I can do. Maybe you don't have much left. Maybe that's all the need right now to get down on the knees and shut everything down and be like, Lord, I got nothing left. Like, really nothing left. And I want to be loved at the way you're calling me to do it. But honestly, all I know right now is frustration. So I need you to come in and take it over. And now I'm calling so-and-so. And now I'm texting so-and-so. Because our attitudes and our emotions, they matter greatly. Because whatever happens inside of here, it's going to come on out. And this change that's happening for the Christian is happening from the inside out. It's going to be change on the inside. Change on the inside. And we want to be conscious of these battles and these things that are going on in the inside. So I think we have two verses up here. We'll close the two verses. And you've seen them before. But again, we want to... Remember them. No, nope, I think it's at the very end. John thirteen thirty five. yeah. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I mean, love is just the centerpiece of this entire thing. To the entire thing. Now, does that mean that we can't go out of here and disagree with somebody? No, it doesn't mean that. You know, um, does that mean that we can't get angry at somebody? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean we won't be difficult at times? You know, no, it doesn't mean that. But hopefully when we are difficult, when we are hostile, if we are argumentative, hopefully we'll catch a glimpse of that, or somebody will, I'm sure, gladly point it out to us. And, And then we can say, you know what, you're right. I'm just dropping the ball with this thing. I'm sorry. This is just being an idiot right now. It's not the way I want to live. It's like that life I put away, it's like creeping back up again and coming out. I don't want to do that. You know? Sorry. That's where we want to be. You know, I want to crave humility, crave correction, so that way we can just let that spirit just work through us and love the way that we're called to love. And let that love do its work. And it's going to be just about impossible to try and be imitators of God and mimic God if we're not just hanging around our Father, getting to know Him and understand Him. Just about impossible. We'll get glimpses here and there, maybe from like church and like other people and stuff, but until we get in His presence, it just doesn't really happen. It's amazing what happens when we get into His presence. It's amazing. And honestly, it always comes back to that. Because at the end of the day, it always was just about that, which was a relationship. Always was about that, always will be about that. It was encouraging uh, yesterday. I saw a whole bunch of Christians uh, 
you know, I haven't seen for a while and stuff, you know, at this United Night of Worship thing and just all kinds of different people and I was t- having one conversation and um, God is doing like some amazing stuff in this particular family. He's just like, whew, like working through this family. It's, it's awesome. And the cool thing is it's even happening fairly quickly. Uh, many times it's just exciting that it's like, you know, one thing happens, but then if multiple things happen and they happen in a short period of time, it's like, wow, this is awesome. So we were talking and you know, one of them was saying, uh, you know how I know how God's love has really taken over this particular person? They don't fight with me anymore. Everything's not an argument anymore. In fact, they were calling and texting me to help give me some things um, to support what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say. And, and I'm just sitting there listening. I'm like, oh, this is so great, Lord, how you're in this family. Thank you so much. And the other thing I was thinking in my mind as, as they were talking was, you know, God's love has really taken off big time when it affects our immediate family. That's a tough one. We could maybe come to church and maybe even, you know, give a little bit and maybe give a little bit of love here and there and spread a little something and maybe listen a little bit better and have a little more smiles. But then immediately in our household, if we respond to negativity, if our tone is like difficult, if we're looking just to point out the faults in the other person, if we're trying to keep a record of the wrongs that's happening because we're living with them and it's so easy to do, this is when the thing really takes off. It's when it invades the home and then the direct relationships. Because I'm hoping, I'm hoping as years goes by and as time goes on, I'm hoping that Julie and my sons are thinking, man, that he just, Jared just loves us unbelievably so much better than he did, you know, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. And they're showing me better, you know, what love is. I hope that can be said about me. I mean, that's what I'm striving for. There's no guarantees here. But that's what we're striving for. And I hope that's what you're striving for. That in your family, in your relationships, oh, God's love is like really working through them. Maybe I don't agree with all the life choices that they're making and where, you know, they're doing certain particular things, but as far as how they're treating me or other people, it's totally different. It's totally different. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand. We're going to do one last song. Nice older hymn we haven't done in a while. Be Thou My Vision. Thy presence, my.